We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they're easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win, and the others too. Those now famous words were spoken by President John F. Kennedy during a speech at Rice University on September 12, 1962. And this is 8 o'clock service, so many of you are old enough to actually remember hearing that speech, right? Any of you actually remember that, which would be kind of cool as well, right? Uh, He gave this speech in an effort to garner support for the space program. And uh, America was in the uh, Cold War with Russia and all the space challenge and all these things were going on. But one of the things that, that I appreciate about that, regardless of what you think about John F. Kennedy as a person and as a president... I appreciate the fact in this speech that he was very clear about how difficult this task was going to be. Uh, It was going to be costly, and it was going to be hard. And in fact, he says we don't do it because it's easy, but because it's hard. Um, But he also goes on to make the case of it's worth the investment, and here's what will come as a result of that. You know, I really appreciate those who are up front about how difficult things are going to be on the front end. Don't you? Don't you appreciate that? Have you ever had someone try to sell you on something and it's all, oh, it's going to be easy, it's no problem. Or, you know, maybe you're asked to serve on a particular board. Oh, you know, it just meets once a quarter. You don't really have to do anything. And then you get into it and you find out there are all kinds of extra expectations that weren't communicated to you on the front end, right? Or maybe in your, in your work and the boss comes to you and says, hey, I need you to take on these extra responsibilities. And then it's followed, but it's really not going to be that difficult. And they try to convince you it's really going to be easy. And then you get into it and you're just completely overwhelmed. And it's way more difficult, way harder than you thought it was going to be. That's frustrating, isn't it? Don't you just have more respect for and appreciation for people that say, here's what I'm asking you to do. And I'm telling you on the front end, it's going to be hard. But here is why it's important. And this is why uh, I think you should do that, or in the case of a job, why you're going to do it, whether you like it or not. But at least I'm going to be honest with you on the front end of this is what's coming. It is very frustrating to feel like someone's not being upfront about the cost involved in whatever it is. And one of the things I appreciate so much about Jesus is he was very upfront about the cost of of being a disciple. He really was. He didn't try to hide anything. He didn't try to sugarcoat it. He didn't, you know, say, hey, this is going to be easy following me. The passage that we're going to study today, granted, it does not come on the front end of his call to his disciples. But if you look at, even with those who ended up following him, there's nothing, there's no record of Jesus saying, come and follow me and I will make your life easier He never communicates that way. I think of other people who asked to follow him, and Jesus basically said, this is what it's going to cost you, and in many cases, they turned away. I think about the, the, the man who came to him and said, I want to follow you, but first let me go and bury my father, which doesn't mean his father had already died. It means I'm going to wait until my father dies. I'm going to bury him, go through that, and Jesus, you remember what Jesus responded to him? Let the dead bury their own dead. Whoa, that's a pretty strong response, right? Or another person that came to him and said, I want to follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family, which I think would mean let me take an extended period of time with my family. And Jesus said, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back 
is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He was, he was very direct and upfront. One guy that came to him and said, I want to follow you. And Jesus more or less said, I'm homeless. Are you sure you want to get into this? I mean, he said that, that you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, and, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Like, I, I, you, do you understand what you're getting into if you say you want to follow me? He was very clear with people on the front end of what was involved in following him. And, um, you know, I, I think because Jesus was so clear, we should be too. In fact, I think Christians do non-believers a great disservice when we are not more upfront or honest about this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Um, I, I understand the motivation. Here's the temptation for us, right? Anytime you want to persuade someone to do something, the temptation is to try to make a case for why it's really not that difficult. And I think we can sometimes find ourselves, those of us who are Christ followers doing a similar type of thing when presenting the gospel and saying, you know, this is why uh, you need to respond here. And it's, it's really, you know, all emphasis on this is why it's not going to be so difficult. And I think the motive for that is understandable. The motive is that we, we want people to come to know Christ because we believe what scripture says and that is that all of us are sinful that our sin separates us from God and because of that those of us that don't know Christ are separated from the hope that God offers in this life and that's really no way to live and when you've experienced the hope of Christ you want to share that with people but beyond that is the fact that that we know that our sin separates us from God eternally if it has not been paid for. And that means that if we don't know Christ, when this life ends, we'll spend an eternity in hell separated from God because that's what our sins deserve. And so, and by the way, if you don't have a relationship with Christ yet, I, I, I want you to understand that really is the motivation behind. If you have somebody in your life that is talking to you about Jesus, that's why. It's because there is a genuine concern and a care and a, and a desire for you to experience the forgiveness of God, to, to know God and the hope of God in this life. So I think the motivation is right. But when we approach it uh, from the standpoint of, well, you know, this is, this is why it's going to make your life easier. Um, not necessarily the best approach for us to take. Because how many of you have discovered that following Jesus doesn't make your life easier? It absolutely makes your life better. But there's a difference. It doesn't make your life easier, but it does make your life better. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about both of those. But I want us to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 10 today. And... Uh, this is just one of a few places that we could go where Jesus talks very directly, and I've, I've mentioned a few of those already in passing, but about the cost of following him. Starting in verse 34, he said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Man, that opening line is pretty direct, isn't it? I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Wow. 
I mean, that, that's not a verse you see quoted a lot, right? You're not going to find that on many Christian t-shirts, uh, people wearing that around town. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What does Jesus mean by that? And, and you know, how do we reconcile that with other places in Scripture? I think about the announcement of Jesus' birth, Luke chapter 2, the famous um, thing that we quote so often, especially at Christmas time, but when the, when the uh, angels appeared to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace to men on whom God's favor rests. And so it's like this announcement at the birth of Jesus of peace is, is coming. And yet Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I mean, is he confused here? Is he like, what, what is going on? I think we need to back up just a little bit and ask the question, what does Jesus mean by peace? And what does that, that pronouncement of peace on earth, what, what does that mean at the birth of Christ? And I want us to go um, flip over a little bit to, to John uh, 14 verse 27 where Jesus said this he said peace I leave with you my peace I give you I do not give as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid so we've got in this one case Jesus saying I don't think that I've come to bring peace on the earth in another case he said peace I leave with you my peace I give to you and it's like okay what's he talking about here and I want you to notice the difference between the object of his peace he said that he did not come to bring peace to the world. Like, in other words, Jesus didn't come to do away with all wrongs. He didn't come to deliver his people from their oppression. I mean, all of that is going to happen at the second coming of Christ. But Jesus did not come primarily to rescue his people out of their bondage on earth. But he said that I've come to bring my peace not just this blanket peace over all the world or over all the earth but for those who know me and those who trust me they will experience my peace and as you notice he said that that he does not give as the world gives his peace is different see the world views peace as the absence of conflict right peace on earth means into all wars and everybody gets along and that kind of thing the peace of christ is different Jesus brings peace sometimes in, right in the middle of the craziest circumstances in life, right? You ever been through that? I mean, just, just going through something that is just horrific, and yet right in the middle of that, you experience the peace of God. That's, that's the peace. That's why Jesus, his peace is so different from the way that, that the world brings peace. It, it kind of makes me think about a song, um, lyrics to a song that was written a long time ago, it talks about, you know, the, the fact that sometimes God may pluck us out of those difficult circumstances, but other times he just kind of holds us tight and, and takes care of us in the middle of it. Uh, it's, a, it's an older song called Sometimes He Calms the Storm. I think the guy's name was Scott Kerpain, if I remember. Those of you that, that know your Christian music might remember this. But here's just a, um, s an excerpt from that song. He says, Sometimes he calms the storm. With a whispered, peace be still, he can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he holds us close and lets the wind and waves go wild. Sometimes he calms the storm, and other times he calms his child. Anybody remember that song? That was back, uh, which by the way, those of you that do remember it, you may be shocked to know this. It's written in 1995. That was 28 years ago. That kind of blew my mind. I didn't think it was that long ago that, that song came out, but it's been a minute. 
Um, but, but it's powerful lyrics in that song of, you know, there are times where God does, and Jesus did this, where he just whispered, peace be still, and everything went calm, right? But there are other times where rather than calming the storm, God just holds us tight, and, and he brings peace. He calms his child, maybe more so than, than the, the storm around. And so Jesus gives peace, but not as the world gives. He gives peace in the middle of the storm. And I think some of you know exactly what that means and, and, and what, that, um, what that feels like. So I guess the first main takeaway as we're looking at this passage would, would just be an acknowledgement of this, that believers will face opposition. And Jesus made that really clear. Uh, he said that, that I've come to do all these, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. He said, I've come to turn a man against his father, daughter against her mother, and so on. You and I, as followers of Christ, are going to face some opposition. Why? Because what Jesus says in so many different areas of life is completely contrary to what the world believes and what the world promotes. And so when we're seeking to follow Jesus, essentially what we're doing is we're swimming upstream, right? We're kind of going against the flow. And if you're swimming upstream and everybody else is swimming downstream, you can bet you're going to butt some heads with people that are coming the opposite direction, right? That's just to be expected. And he said, I want you to, to understand that, that this is coming. So what that opposition looks like might vary depending on your circumstances and maybe where in the world you live. I mean, if you live in China, for example, or maybe some other communist country, opposition might look like getting thrown in jail for going to an illegal church. I mean, that is a very real possibility for Christians in many parts of the world. That is not so much the case for us here, but there is other opposition that we're going to face. Some of it may be a little more subtle than, than others, but as a follower of Christ, there is a high likelihood that you'll face some opposition. I mean, it, it could even take the form of maybe being passed over in a work environment for a promotion because you're known as a believer and, and, and that is taken as a threat. And so maybe you, you know, maybe you don't get the same opportunities that others do. Or maybe you are called certain names by those who hold to a different standard than what the Bible teaches. And when you seek to, even if you do it in a very loving way, but to take a, a stand on biblical issues and others are going to look at you and say, oh, you're this or you're that because of that. I mean, that, that's opposition that comes from following Christ. For our, our kids, for teenagers, for children, one of the, the most difficult things in the world is watching your kids being treated differently because they're Christians, right? Parents, ever, ever experienced this? And, you know, that, that's hard, but at the same time, that's a, that's a reality because there are going to be times where there are certain groups of, of, of teenagers or certain groups of even younger kids that are saying, we're not going to include this person in this because we know they wouldn't want to go along with what we want to do. And, and that hurts and that's painful to, to watch that. It's painful to go through that. If those, you know, some, some are in that, that, that place of, Going, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And sometimes I feel left out because of my desire to follow Christ. The opposition is painful, but it's particularly painful when it comes from somebody that you're close to, somebody that you care about. And you can't get any closer than what Jesus describes 
in verses 35 and 36, when it says a man will turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. I mean, that's a shocking statement. Maybe everything except for the turning a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. Maybe we understand that one a little bit more, but the rest of it... <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. The rest of it, though, it's, it's all, it is a bit shocking, right? How in the world are family members going to be turned against one another because of their faith in Christ? Well, that, that can happen. And some of you know that firsthand. You've experienced that. You, you have made a decision to follow Jesus, and that has created tension in your family because of your desire to follow Christ. And that can be for all kinds of different reasons. In some cases, it may be that someone is coming from a family background where they are of a completely different religion of some sort. Maybe they're, they're Buddhist or you know, uh, a Muslim or whatever the case may be, and just a totally different type of religion, and they've decided to follow Jesus. And now, all of a sudden, it feels to the family members like, like this individual is turning their back on their family heritage. And they're dishonoring because essentially what they're saying is that following Jesus is more important to me than honoring the uh, heritage, the religious heritage in particular of my family. And a lot of times that happens in cultures where honoring one's past heritage is the highest value. And that's a hard place to be. That is a difficult decision to make to say, I'm willing to follow Jesus even at that cost. Sometimes it's not leaving a different religious background, but sometimes it is choosing to follow Christ coming out of a family with basically no religious background at all. And that can be seen as a big threat as well because the others are like, oh, you think you're better than us now? Or, you know, some, sometimes that's, there's kind of a sense of this kind of quiet knowing of the way I'm living isn't right. And now that we have someone following Christ, it kind of shines a spotlight on that a little bit more and makes us very uncomfortable. So that can create tension within family relationships. Or sometimes, and I've seen this many, many times, sometimes some of the most difficult uh, ones to manage are when somebody begins to follow Jesus passionately and they're coming out of a religious, a Christian, by, by, by title, by name, a Christian background. Maybe it's of a different denomination or a different you know, uh, belief system somewhat uh, in some areas within the Christian faith. And that person begins to get excited about following Jesus. And I mean, we see this with our teenagers sometimes. Even, you, know, you, get, you get a teenager, there's nothing to bring more energy and passion than watching a teenager get excited about following Jesus, right? I mean, there, there's just something that comes with that that's incredible, but I'm telling you that that also can um, be threatening to a family that watches that happening because they see this light shining very brightly, and it points out just how dim their own light is or possibly non-existent, and so that can create problems. Or... Maybe, again, it's, it's, it's a denominational thing or whatever. It's like our family has always been this. We go to this type of church. Your great-grandparents went to this type of church. Your grandparents went to this type of church. We go to this type of church. You should always go to this type of a church. And it creates some tension when somebody says, but my desire is to follow Jesus. And if I'm able to develop a relationship with Christ and really get to know him in an intimate way here, that's the direction that I'm going to go even if it means um, creating some tension with family. That's hard, right? 
But that's what Jesus said uh, may happen. And, uh, and we need to be ready to deal with that. Because verse 37, he continues on and he says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Now, the question, I guess, that, that we should, what does that mean, right? Is, is Jesus saying, don't love your family? Don't love, and obviously not. You know, the Bible tells us, honor your father and mother. It tells us how we are to love one another. That's not the point. But when he says that, that if you love someone, the word that's translated more than me, literally that word is above. If you love someone above me, it's talking about a, you know, putting it at a, at a higher place, at more of a, of a priority. Uh, if anyone, even a family member, is a higher priority to us than Jesus is, then there's a problem there. And that's the point that he is making. He's not making the point that we should love family less, but he is very clearly making the point that there should be no higher priority. You know, thinking about all this uh, caused me to reflect a little bit uh, back. It's 22 years ago that we started Gateway. In fact, today is 22 years to the day of our grand opening almost. I think it was either, maybe it was yesterday. But yeah, right? That's, that's cool. We'd be excited about that. Yeah. Um, but just thinking back through what those early days were like. Let me tell you, when we started our church, I had two big fears. One was that, you know, we left a, a, a stable environment, a good church. I was on staff and, and launched out to start something new. So fear number one was the church is going to fail. And we're going to pour all of our, our energy and passion and heart into this, and it's just not going to work. And the, the statistics about that were quite staggering of the number of churches that, that tried to start and, and, and failed and didn't last. And so that was fear number one. But can I tell you, there was even a bigger fear than that. And the bigger fear was that the church would succeed but that my family would feel neglected in some way because of that. See, at the time that we started Gateway, uh, we had a two-year-old daughter. We were in the process of preparing to have another daughter who would be born less than a year into the start of the church. I was finishing up PhD work. I'd done the coursework, but was still finishing a, a dissertation. And um, obviously, my, my relationship with my wife, my marriage was high priority. So I, I was concerned about that. And, I, and I'd heard the stories of, you know, people, this, what it, takes to get a church started in the energy and time and how families have been neglected from that and so that that was a concern to me on the front end in trying to figure out how do you give the appropriate level of of time and energy because that's necessary to something like this and it's it's something that God had called us to do without damaging those family relationships and that that's a hard one it's a tricky one uh, I think looking back uh, I've made a lot of mistakes but my wife and my kids would tell you that they felt loved and, and prioritized through the process. Um, I, I point all that out just to say, when Jesus says, don't love uh, your family more than me, he's not saying neglect your family. He's not saying that they shouldn't be a priority and that they shouldn't know beyond a shadow of a doubt how important they are and that you invest heavily in those relationships because that's extremely important. And I, I'm convinced that the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we love our families. But what does that look like then? What, I mean, practically speaking, what would it look like to place family above Jesus? I mean, what for us, and I, I'm just kind of wrestling through this, like what are some examples of, of what this might look like on a very practical level? And, um, you know, certainly one of those would be for us to, to kind of have the mindset of, you know, I, I'm just going to, 
compromise in some certain areas that I know God is leading me to do because it's difficult. For example, let's say you know, my desire as a, as a leader, spiritual leader of the home, is we're going to have family devotions. We're going to have some time where we can grow together spiritually, but then I face opposition from that. And people don't want to do it. Or kids are complaining about it or whatever. And it's a whole lot easier just to say, well, I'm just not going to do that anymore because they don't really want to go that direction. It's easy to let those things go. It's easy as a parent to let our kids get involved in things that we know are not God-honoring, but we don't want to be the uncool parent, you know, that's always been the one saying, you can't do this or can't do that, so we just kind of let them go that direction. I think that's placing a family or children above, above God. Or, or what about, you know, just thinking through some of the core commitments that we challenge ourselves with as members of Gateway. We say there are four things that help us grow in our faith, Right? Um, starting with worship. Help me with this. See, see, see what you remember. Worship. What's the next one? Grow, serve, give. Worship, grow, serve, give. Those are the four things that, that we do. Just think about this. In terms of a family, how easy it is to, to let those things slide because of prioritizing family. We, we don't get up and come to church together because that's our family day. Or you know, everybody wants to sleep in, we don't want to, and so maybe it's easier just to stay at home and watch on TV, but we'll, we'll just make it the easy route because of our family. What about growing, which is in the context of small groups, so grow, get plugged into a small group. Well, we don't want to take the extra time away from the family, or, you know, maybe we'll come to church, but we don't want to ask our kids to be here for two hours, or we don't want to take another night of the week that we have to be away, and so we're just not going to do that. Or serving. I mean, you're so busy, you know, chasing your tail and running this way and that, trying to keep up with all the activities and clubs and, and sports and everything that they're involved with, that you're like, I don't have any time left. I don't have any energy left to serve because our, our time is just gets eaten up with all the things that, that we're involved in. And then certainly on the give front, it's like, did I tell you about all the things we're involved with? There's no money left at all to give to anything of, of God's purpose because they just, we're just drained, right? financially and, and, and energy-wise and time-wise, I mean, just think about it. How it's so easy for us to prioritize something, even that's a good thing, like family, uh, so that it can take away from following Christ first and foremost. And so here's the second main idea that's really what we're talking about today, and that is that we must love Jesus above everyone and everything else. That's the point. I think that's the point that Jesus is making here, is that we have to love him above everyone and everything else. And the way he put that, whoever does not, verse 38, does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In Jesus' day, a cross was not some type of jewelry you wore around your neck. It was a symbol of shame and death. And when he says, take up your cross and follow me, he says a willingness to die, a willingness to, to lay everything else down so that following me is more important than anything else. And did you notice how inclusive all these words are when he says anyone who loves father and mother, whoever does not take up their cross. Th this is everybody. We're not talking about just a few super spiritual people, you know, that are the ones that are on fire for God or the ones that, you know, want to go into the ministry or whatever. We're talking about everybody, whoever, anyone who does not take up their cross and follow me. He said, can't be my disciples, not worthy of me. Guys, that's a big ask, isn't it? 
to say, I'm expecting you as my follower to take up your cross and follow me. That's a lot to ask. In fact, I was thinking about that. I thought, there's no way in the world that I would ask that of somebody. And, and it would be totally inappropriate if I did because who would I be to ask someone for something like that? But it's absolutely appropriate when we remember who it is that is making the ask here. This is God in human flesh. This is Jesus. This is the one who gave himself for us. 1 John 4.10 puts it this way. It says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Church, please hear me on this. The real point here is not that we need to love God more. The real point is that we need to experience the love of God for us more because when that happens... We are so overwhelmed by the love of God and by the grace of God that there's a desire to lay everything down and follow Him. Can I just tell you one of my biggest concerns coming into this message today? Is that it would sound like you got to do better. And yes, we do sometimes. We, We do. We need that challenge. But that's not the point as much as it is to say what we really need is to know Jesus. And when we grasp what He has done for us, There is a desire to give our best to him. I look back at the things he's done in my life. I'm so grateful that as a 16-year-old that Christ came into my life and he changed me. And he he filled those areas of, of emptiness and he brought peace and he brought purpose. And looking back over the years to see I'm still definitely a work in progress as we all are. But I can see this is how God has changed me. This is what God has done in my life over those years. And when I reflect back on that, it makes me so grateful that I desire to give my best to Him. Or at least on the best days I do. Sometimes that's not there. Sometimes we need to be reminded. And that's why messages like this just remind us and cause us to ask the question. And I would just close with this question for you today. Are you taking up your cross daily and following him? Is there anyone or anything that is a higher priority in your life than following Jesus? And if the answer is yes, are you willing to deal with it? Are you willing to address that, confess it, and lay it before God? And that's, that's what I want to challenge all of us to do today. Let's pray together. Lord, would you show us right now through the the conviction of the Holy Spirit in us, Lord, show us those areas of our lives where we are valuing anyone or anything more than we value you. Lord, my, my prayer is that we take up our cross, that we follow you, that we lay our lives down before you. You deserve that, Lord Jesus. You have given yourself for us. Thank you for that. And our desire is just to to bask in that love and let that, that be our motivator to love you wholeheartedly as well. In your name we pray. Amen.